Hello everybody, my name is Dracus999, and today we are doing Paladins in Pauldrons. I'm here with my wonderful co-host Lydia. Hello. And Redwood. How do you do? Today's topic of discussion is the most wonderful topic in all of D&D. Language, and their real-world equivalent of where you get inspiration for how they sound. So... Who'd like to start us off today? Well, I I I think it would be good to start with um, the, the the races that are most commonly played by the players. So, starting off, let's go with the bog standard human. All right, humans. Uh, they start off with the language common in almost every uh version of D and D. So, what would we equal it to? I would say English might be our best bet. Yeah, um, no. As the way common is described, it seems to be a smattering of different terms and languages. To be fair, either English or another Pigden-based language. One mm -hmm. where it's a combination of languages, because that's what common is. It's not so much... Common isn't really meant to be so much its own language, and it doesn't actually make sense for humans to only have common. Yes, common so isn't a language of its own. Common is a pigden that is meant to be a trade language. That's why everyone knows common. And that's why I'd like to point out this, that Pathfinder did a good job with languages by noting regional dialects of common. Mm -hmm. Which is Verizian. Uh, I actually believe uh, in D&D 3.5 there is several other... Um variants on common that are off of regional dialects. Hold on. Verizian is not a dialect of common. Verizian is its own language, mm -hmm. and common in in the Verizian region would more likely be based on Verizian than it would be based mm -hmm. on uh, than Verizian would be based on common. Nope. Oh, that actually makes sense. That actually kind of does. Uh, and Verizian is in Pathfinder, if I remember correctly, right? Verizian yes. is the language of the Verissia region of the, of the uh, I believe Galarian is the continent, and yeah. another, and Lore is the world. Ah, that actually is really interesting. I, I didn't know. Then again, I'm also not one who plays Pathfinder much today. So, yes. Don't quote me on that. I'm not 100% because I don't actually read that much Pathfinder lore. I just DM a ridiculous amount of homebrew Pathfinder. Alright, so that, that explains common and, and, and sort of what you could equate it to. Uh, well, common, you literally could take any accent for your character. Pretty much. Anything. It, it, any accent at all could be used for a common-speaking character, because common isn't meant to be its own language. I also feel that it behooves GMs to give a regional dialect language as the actual primary language of human characters, because it creates a more deep character, because if the only language they speak is the trade pigden, then they don't actually speak any language at all. That is true. Uh, and I know, I know in most D&D &D, uh, games, Pathfinder and, and such, 
Uh, you also do get bonus languages based upon your intelligence, and having, as, as what is in D&D, the bog standard human tends to be a white male, which really, that's another topic for another day. In fact, I believe that's uh, one of our next episodes we're going to be doing, but ha having just uh, the standard white guy, you know, just speaking English, doesn't you know, show off that it's very inclusive. It, it, it almost shows the opposite, uh, in effect. No, it, it, it does actually show the opposite. And I like the fact that actually, in Pathfinder, the majority of the images of characters drawn in Pathfinder have some sort of skin tone beyond pale white person. Well, I think I know what we're doing for episode two, then. Yes. Inclusivity. Um, okay, so that that explains common and, and what, you know, most, most DMs could take as a, an idea. Uh, let, let's go off with the next uh, most played race, which would be Elf. Elf. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I personally have always viewed Elves as speaking more of a French dialect and tone in their voice, having that almost lispy way of speaking that... I speak so beautifully, and I can tell you to go fuck yourself that you would never know I'm telling you to like fuck yourself. sound like a compliment. Exactly. Yeah. I also put a thought to it. An angry elf could be angry. Like, angry Italian, maybe. Actually, that might work, too. Because elves um, really would, don't show would, a lot of emotion. Would, but when they do, I would it's argue. Explosive. I would argue that uh, Latin-based languages in general can be a good source of inspiration for elven characters. Yes. Actually, that is true. That would be an interesting uh, way. Also, the rarer and stranger the elf, the closer it should be to true Latin. Ah, okay. So then how, how would you describe how a wood elf would more so speak? That, that tonal of... Uh... Wood elves, of all elves, are actually probably the closest to English. Where they have this kind of just a rough, woodsy accent. I don't know how to put it other than that. that, that they, uh, they, they don't, even among their own kind, they don't socialize that much. That, that uh, more rural Having, having the characters speak almost like they're unfamiliar with using their voice as well. Because they literally might not speak mm -hmm. for decades or centuries at a time. That actually, yeah. that does make a bit more sense. That is a very interesting spin on how you would explain how a wood elf might sound. Almost timid in sort of the way they speak, not knowing exactly how they sound or what to say. Right, like they're trying to re-familiarize themselves with the shape of the word in their mouth. Versus a sea elf who might sound, you know, a bit muffled due to having to um, almost speak softly or they could sound extremely loud due to the, the uh, royal and toil of waves and having to speak over that or vents in the underwater. Even versus uh, a sun elf who might actually just speak... Uh, more I, I, would, I would also argue that water elves that don't come out of the water a lot 
might um uh, in my canon sea elves have two voice boxes mm. one for speaking on the surface that is meant to vibrate it so that it can be understood as words in the air and another that is meant to be used to be understood as words underwater and these vibrate at very different frequencies the one for underwater if used on the surface comes out as far more um just i don't know how to explain it i mean i i understand where you're coming from with the two voice boxes because they are two completely different um locations and and, and uh what well, uh what would be the the correct term i can think of the term in my head and it's not coming out it's uh well, there's also the matter of aqua just being a language that can't normally be spoken outside of water. True. That is, uh, that is very true. And, and I, I do think, Red, you, you are right about having the two different bo uh, voice boxes because the oxygen and uh, reverberation for the oxygenation have two very separate uh, views in and out of water. Right. So, mm -hmm. it, it makes total sense for, for sea elves I, I, I and other elves. I feel like the water voice box would be actually quieter on land. And then yeah. if they used the wrong one, it would come out as like this squeaky, shrill voice. Maybe. That, there's also... Now, I hate to bring up the Harry Potter films, but there is the siren song from... Uh, and how it reacts above water, where it is awful. Yeah. I think, I think, and that actually can lead us into a good segment a for me. example of what I'm trying to say. Where it's not, yeah, where it's not exactly squeaky, but it's shrill and harsh. That that might be mm -hmm. just a good example for Aquin in, in, in general, because it's yeah. such a, a language that can only be spoken really by aquatic beings and underwater. Yeah, it can only be properly spoken in the water. Which is honestly by itself hysterical in, in in a language, but it also makes the most sense because you speak it only directly underwater. It's the language of the elemental plane of water, which is literally an endless expanse of ocean in every direction. Uh, yes, I believe there is a surface, but it's still a big ocean. It is a massive ocean. Um, Alright, so that, that kind of explains Aquin, but we can round back to Aquin itself when the time comes, because there there are different, you know, ways that Aquin can be spoken. Um, the next the next race would be uh, a half-orc, actually, uh, that mm. is most commonly played. Uh, so, orcish in itself uh, was described as a very gruff language. Um, I I would equate it to possibly either German or Russian in in its. Style. I'd equate it closer to Russian. Uh, I feel like German might actually be the better call on that one. Think so? Well, I mean, mm -hmm. it's 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 very hard because both are very and and I don't mean to sound uh, rude to any of our viewers who speak either German or Russian, but they, they are very tough 
language, a language that sounds very... They have very hard sounds to a lot of linguists. That That is an excellent example, very hard language. So having, having a language that reflects that of a people who are very hard, I think is is a wonderful thing because it shows that they didn't always have the best upbringing, but they try and make the best out of it. Yes, considering going back to orcs in general, their god was cheated out of giving them a proper place to live. That is true. Honestly, honestly, I wish more people understood that about orcs in in D&D and Pathfinder, that it is a common trope that the orcs were cheated out of their natural place in the world. Yes. yes in my campaign, I've learned to play on that quite a bit. Yeah, and it, it also depends on DMs, because some DMs will just say, no, you know, it's orcs have always had a place. And, and those of us who, you know, read and, and are war buffs, when we, when we go through and go, hey, look, you know, we we have um I totally forgot to get that <laughs> while we're doing this. Um, more those who show. who in lore show that you know their lore is different from uh, in canon lore. It, it can be a, a refreshing thing, but sometimes you know you just want to have that. I'm an orc who's an outcast. Kind yeah, of, kind of a thing. Well, I like to allow that I am the half orc outcast on a basis of a more—I don't know how to put it—but like to me, what feels like a more organic place in the world for orcs. The half orc, half human, is an outcast from both the orcs and the humans, the same way a half elf is an outcast from the orc, from the humans and the elves. Yes. I mean, most half-orcs uh, half are not um, brought into this world from the best of situations, we'll say. Yeah. Um, uh... At least, that, that, that's standard D&D canon, and is actually one of the things I consider to be very much one of the first things to go when I start pulling out pieces of canon I don't oh, like. God. Yeah, I also, it's... a big thing I always nix is the orcs, like, limit on age. Yeah, no, I usually give them at least a human lifespan. That they, doesn't they make sense. In my, in my canon, true orcs can live forever, so long as they keep their inner flame going. That's really cool. I like that idea. But there's a limit to that. They have to fight regularly. Ah, that that berserker flame of either I have to kill you all the time, or... They don't have to kill, they just have to fight. Ah, okay. No, I can see that. Body I can, physically I can in good see shape. that. This would, this would explain a pattern of warlike behavior between tribes of orcs. They're not doing it because they hate each other. They're doing it out of respect to keep their allies strong. That and a big thing. You see, fighting the hardest against each other in that setting would actually probably be the best of friends. And if you thought you could turn them against each other, they're both going to turn and look at you like, oh, look, dinner showed up. 
Well, there's also the big thing of, in my own thing, an orc that has lived for a long time is someone to fear. <coughs> they are far stronger. And they, they, they uh, probably have some of the best fighting styles. Not only can... that, but every century, 50 years, century or so, they continually grow in power in a similar manner to a dragon. Not quite as powerfully. They don't gain a lot of inherent magic without study, but... You know, but that physical strength showing up, you know, years later, really does pay off. And a long enough life for very intense spiritual and arcane study. Mm-hmm. True. But so wizards, nothing, and nothing about their militant lifestyle would limit their abilities with arcane or divine magic. No, it would actually encourage it more so. Yeah. Right. And I would see in the culture of the orcs, the shaman healer person would become the most important person in the tribe. Because they're the ones who keep the oldest, strongest warriors alive. That is true. They do tend to keep them alive the longest. And An any, any... their life to divine healing power would be central to most tribes. Like, it'd be an immediate path to high-level stature and success among That's what the I was tribes. just about to say. Any, any true shaman would instantly just say, no, you you are are the the big one. Anyway, let's go back uh, to language. Exactly. Yeah. Back, back well, on track. Well, lang language and culture are intrinsically tied. It, so it, it's not surprising that we would get into culture as we're discussing language, because culture and language go hand in hand. It, it's almost dependent yeah. upon each other, because uh, that's how a language evolves, actually. Right. Um, another thing is actually, uh, people who are familiar with Native American dialects, and I'm not just saying like listen to some Native Americans speak and try to copy their dialects on the fucking YouTube's. I'm saying if if you yourself are someone who've actually lived around Native Americans and know a Native American accent, those are actually some of the best accents for Orcish. Maybe maybe it wouldn't just be uh, German. Maybe it would be uh, some something like Navajo, or or something along that line. Since they are a tribal people, I I, I would I would actually say some of the best tribes you could pick would be the Mongolians or the Lakota. Hmm. Well, that 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 can change. In fact, how orcs sound in general. Then, so may, maybe they have a um, Mongolian. Uh, accent and how they speak is more from... or, or, or something similar to Mongolian in a styling where 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 it's it's a, a I, don't, I actually don't know that much about Mongolian but like the idea that they would have similar stylings of speech and mannerisms to nomadic tribes and groups that do like that same kind of intense live in a difficult place struggle to survive every day, gain strength from every hardship you face kind of mentality. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, and, I, and I think that would be a better any... description for Orcish than uh, German. Yeah, it just... What, what does hardy survivalist 
who is respected among their community for being a hardy survivalist sound like to you? Exactly. That's the best accent to use for Orcish. And that that can be, depending on where you're at in the world, very different. Yes, yeah. and that's big, because I don't feel like even Elven or Orcish or any of these languages would be the same across the globe. It would not, there would be that's the beauty of languages for each continental region. If there is a contiguous continental region that is completely separated by a major body of water or impassable mountain range, the language of Orcish on each side of this impassable barrier is going to be entirely different. So, so correct me if I'm wrong on what you're saying, but what it, it sounds like to me you're saying is there's German Orcish, let's say, and then there's Navajo Orcish, in, in a sense. Effectively. <laughs> be very much based on what harsh region from. Right. And the Orcs would gravitate to, like, desert regions. And like Even cold regions, it all, it all regions, cold regions, anywhere that is hardy enough to keep them on their toes. Yes, hard that brings up you know in D and D different fire. I mean, there there's several different fire, so they choose difficult lands to live in. So uh, something like uh, I believe I believe uh, it's called a fire orc. Uh, in in three five, I'm not sure if they have the equivalent in Pathfinder. Uh, they, there are they, desert orcs, yes. Well, there there's fire orcs and then there's desert orcs in three point five. So there's a very big difference between. The two. Difference, all right. Hold so, on. Fire orcs, if I remember right, live in volcanic regions. That's what I was about to say. A fire orc mm. would be perfect near a volcano, almost a. Almost like they're around Greece or Hawaii or um, um, Italy, in fact, actually. Things like or, most, or any Pacific island. Ah, that is true. God about the Pacific islands. The entirety of the entire coastal region of the Pacific. The Ring of Fire, as it's oh, called. Yes. All of them are harsh volcanic regions. Those would all right. be areas where the fire arcs might live. So, so it if, would if, sound if we Polynesian for an orc, Polynesian would be a good. Would Polynesian fire orcs are a very real possibility? Yes, they wouldn't be the only Polynesians. Like if we took the map of today and distributed D and D races on it, volcanic regions would have fire orcs, coastal regions would have sea elves, uh, mountainous regions would have dwarves and and kobolds, and, and... orcs, um. There, there's uh, several goblins, uh, yeah, goblins, goblins actually. deep gnomes, uh, but like yes. that's a good way to look at it. Look at where would the culture of that specific group fit in best on our own globe? Goliaths would probably be Nordic, along with uh, frost giants, um, frost any uh, of the cool actually be. It, all of the standard D and D giants would all be Nordic, bar none, because they're very much based on the Norse giant. So then, that's a good segue into playing a giant creature or a half giant mm. or things like that. Or be, the Goliath uh, race in D and D and Pathfinder. That is yeah. true. 
the Goliath race is a, is, is a giant kin. And mm-hmm. there very much would be a Nordic type group. Yes. And there's a lot of Nordic groups too, though. Although not necessarily just Nordic groups. Tall, pale, tall, pale people from the north is a surprisingly common trope all over the world. It's true. Yes. Maybe, maybe uh, they would have more of an uh, Icelandic uh, tone for, say, a frost giant than a Norwegian for, say, I would even put a regular giant as Norwegian or so. Stone giants would probably be the more more Norwegian. Maybe. It, I could totally see that. It, it, it all depends on you know, as as a DM, where you get your but, inspiration. But, uh, uh, and actually, I see the Icelandic as being fire giants because that's a volcanic island. That could be. That could be a way how to how to. Uh, I I, I see like the North Swedish accent as being frost giant. In my, in my thought, because that's like the coldest region of all, and that's where the frost giants would be. Well, I mean, again, it's all up to DM interpretation on where you can... It does, but sharing my interpretation also gives people an idea of, okay, what do other people think is a place that this is logical for? That is true. Mm-hmm. And that said... Everything I share is entirely my opinion, and you are free to take it and leave it as you would any other part of the game. I, I believe that that goes for all of us, as this, this yes. is an opinion almost not based on ideas to to get everyone flowing and sitting there going, you know, hey, you know, what do you think of this language, and what do you think of this language and that language? Uh, so we've talked about humans, we've talked about orcs, we've talked about elves. Uh, we've talked about giants. What about dwarves? What, what uh, would yeah. be a dwarves, good dwarven accent for you, Paul? Honestly, honestly, dwarves are one of the most difficult races to pin down on an accent. Yes. Yes, that is true. A, a lot of people tend to give them the stereotypical uh, Scottish brogue or the, the Irish group. Which I think is entirely atrocious, and I don't think that is accurate or, or, or appropriate. Honestly. Yes. If you have a good brogue and you like using it, you can use it for whatever character you want. There's no reason that there wouldn't be, like, Scottish accent dwarves, but that is not the standard dwarven accent. What, what to you signifies the standard uh, dwarven accent, Red? I would almost say that they should be almost entirely as unaccented as reasonably possible. Almost stony. The word, the the primary descriptive word of the way that dwarves talk, speak, and behave is stony. Hmm. That is is a very interesting thought. I'm sorry, but when you say stony, it just makes you think, oh no. Now I have to play all the dwarves is ten. No, I mean yes, that would not be a bad way to play dwarves. It if you did them as so completely deadpan as if you trying to play a character who has no emotions whatsoever, that would actually be fairly accurate to a dwarf. Ah, but the thing is, even the dwarves actually do have emotion. They are just. It's, no, so no, no, it's not that they lack emotion, it's that the way that they express emotion 
Just, <laughs> just, uh, oh, oh, that happens. Redwood will be back in a moment. Yeah, oh, he dropped. Well, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be any kind of, any kind of D&D talk or game if, you know, people didn't drop. Yeah. I mean, calling a dwarf stony and, and saying they are emotionless, uh, honestly, it's, is almost rude. E even the stones have ways they express certain conditions and certain feelings. It's just not... No, this is quite true. As... as it's just an amusing thought. It, it is. And it's, it's honestly quite... quite hysterical to see and think. A, a very deadpan dwarf. So... so serious and just sounding almost like there is no emotion in their voice yes no not like that but like this like... a smooth steady tone where they just talk in that one tone because inflection isn't something familiar to their culture possibly i mean inflection can be subtle it can also be very very obvious Honestly, yeah. I could see dwarves as having that smooth tone ninety percent of the time, and then only when they truly get emotional do your actual inflection. Something that excites right. them almost. Where where they get where they get angry, and suddenly you can hear the anger in the dwarf's voice, and it's the only time you've heard emotion in his voice as he's picking up his axe to say, "Oh, I'm gonna put this mother in the ground." I mean, I, I wouldn't even say it was just, it's just uh, being angry. I would say when, when extreme emotion comes out. Yes, but most people would probably only ever see anger in a dwarf unless it was some very special moment. Like something where like they complete a great quest to, to, to free the citadel of the dwarves' ancestors in an emotion... In a moment of great emotion, the dwarf says, with tears in his voice, shaking with, as he expresses his gratitude for the aid that his compa compatriots have done in saving his family home from the invaders who had taken it a century ago. Almost see that is just at last, it's finally free. As just a dwarf impelled and falls to their knees. That would be a very interesting thing, actually. A very, very interesting view on a dwarf instead of just the stereotypical. Hey, I'm a dwarf, and I'm about to bring you down. God, that that just sounds. It doesn't even sound right now. When, no. when I say it, it just. Yes, I will save your kin. I will help you. But you must promise me <laughs> that the lands, my ancestral home, will be protected. That that just. Sounds so so lackluster, but it it's so powerful. It fits the dwarf because it's stony, but not without its inflection, not without its slight imperfection, because that's what defines a dwarf. Everything about a dwarf is dwarf-like. But that also stony. defines what a stone is. A stone is not perfect. A stone has major imperfections right so inflections I... in the stone 
bits of something else that make it special. I, I think that works. It, it's a it's a terrible thing because it it changes almost the dynamic of what what any any DM or player views as a a dwarf, but it also takes it and the puts it in their own vibe. It, no, it puts it, it in a better own feeling. Almost almost as if it's not just a dwarf anymore. It's not that bog standard race. It's something completely new. It's dwarfs. And I will also add this. This fits very this kind of voicing for dwarves fits well with the idea of dwarves being mystically carved from stone and mystically animated by finding runes describing the laws that affect dwarfdom, both natural and dwarf made. Ah, yes, the the all father of the forge would be very proud to hear that of you. Yeah. It's 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 a very well, interesting thought. To, to take on a dwarf, and I, I actually would like to to try this now in the campaign that I am a dwarf. What I do is very simple. I work metal. I fight. That, that, that puts a really good taste in my mouth, actually. Yeah. A really good taste. Because it gives the dwarf its own spirit, and suddenly it becomes... Very, very interesting. Because it's not like anything you've done before, and yet it feels familiar. It's... Honestly, it's like that... <clears throat> that old blanket that your grandmother has, that when you're sick and you're over there, and she just wraps it around you. And it's somehow really comfortable and enjoyable to wear. Exactly. No matter how many how many years it's been since the first time it was draped over you when you were sick. Exactly. And then oh, okay. man, that, it's very comfortable to hear. Actually, now, very very comfortable, and I actually do like that thought. That, that that's a comfortable that a dwarf is truly finding out what they're good at because. Every dwarf is different. Some dwarves are, are wonderful also, metal workers. One thing I do change about dwarves in my campaign. Dwarves don't age. The only way a dwarf dies is by being destroyed. By being killed. Hmm. And even then, they can be resurrected. And the resurrection spell will restore the broken stone the dwarf turns into when it dies back into a dwarf, because that was a dwarf with a full dwarven soul. The same way the god of the dwarves, Torag in, in D&D, infused the, a soul into the first dwarf that he carved from the purest stone of the ancient mountain. The first mountain, the original home of the dwarves. And every dwarf knows exactly where it is and can find it without error. This is why dwarves have the ability to know their location underground. They know exactly where they are relative to the first home. The first home of the dwarves. That, yes. that, that is a, a wonderful reason as to how it works. It's, it's... They always know where they are because they can tell how far they are from first home and how deep they are under the ground. And which direction is north and which direction is first home. By these four pieces of information, 
they can find their exact location on the planet, no matter what. That 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 explains a lot, actually, as to how dwarves with the, it, it, it even explains how they have their stone cunning, where they just look at look at stone and go, yeah, that's that's not right. That's that's so wrong. Something's not right here because they can literally see. They see in the stone things that the human eye can't even perceive because they are themselves stone. They understand the stone as they understand themselves. Yes. Which I, I believe that brings a, a wonderful roundoff to, oh. to dwarven language and how, how it works. That, that dead, that not deadpan, but almost almost monotone right that smooth monotone not not the monotone of somebody who doesn't know how to speak or inflect but the monotone of somebody who really just doesn't express their emotions through their voice right uh that would leave out of the standard races a halfling and Jim. We also haven't done the half elf specifically, but they're covered fairly they're well covered under the human elf. elf and half orc. Yeah, as well. Which, oh man, I honestly wish oh, they gave half elves more, but that—that's another story. I, for I, 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 the thing—the thing with half elves is—is is half elves can be can be a fun one because half elves give you a really open hand with your accent. That it does. That it does. But half because you can take literally any accent for a half elf because they could have literally gone anywhere to learn the thing. That is true, but halflings, halflings start off with common, which is uh, any regional language, and the their own I, language, the trade language. I, I will I will say this now. The hobbits from Lord of the Rings came from a place that was basically. The, 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 the spatial equivalent of Ireland slash Scotland in Tolkien's works. And to me, it seems really interesting in the idea that we could use the idea that 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 A halfling starts uh, off with a little brook. Almost. A little bit. Almost as if they're Working towards something like that of a hard-working class. The the the, the immigrants will build America almost. Aye, that. And it, it kind of explains well, how their names came to be. Well, how it, it explains. Immigrant is a nice way to describe why the Irish came to America. It's the the nicer way, let's say. But uh, <laughs> explaining it as a halfling with, with a, a more of an an Irish brogue, let's say, would would explain a lot. Whereas their 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 name came to be because a lot of Irish names are are very one word. They mean one thing and one thing only. Where halfling names are very much similar. Uh, I I had a buddy actually play a halfling called Taker. Now, she had two names. There's the name that she gives when being professional, and her halfling name, Taker. Now, you, you guys uh -huh. can take from that name what you will of what, what she did as a character. Um, 
I'm a thought of halflings, actually. My things that I've homebrewed for the halflings. Uh, based on something I found on Facebook. I'll be fair to say that. It is not my original idea on this one. Uh, the halflings are very fey in a way. And that they have... That 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 they that they aren't born like you and I, but literally are woven of the tales of those existing halflings, mm-hmm. and that they are themselves the children of some story weaving deity or another, hmm. and that they are the fabric of tales that have been told about them before they ever existed, and this is why. Halflings make up such interesting and fanciful tales because it because it creates the most interesting and fanciful new cousins for you to have fun with, making your world more interesting by telling more interesting tales. That is that is very interesting as a thought. Right? In itself, that is a very fae-like power. Yeah. After all, many archfair purported whim things into existence. It also explains why halflings get along with almost everyone, actually, and how they can simply talk to certain people and suddenly you're enthralled by this halfling. Right. Why why people will say they don't like halflings and then wind up best friends with a halfling. Halfling? I thought you were just a really short human. (laughs) 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 But as long as with hats. (laughs) (laughs) no and that that that's the nature of halfling they're intentionally inoffensive they're inoffensive as a well-made story is inoffensive yes they are adventurous as a well-made story is adventurous they are fearless for a well-made story always overcomes fear they're that comfortable pair of pants you wear on a on a nice lazy Sunday afternoon in the middle of summer. Yes, and that very much that idea. And more than that, the way that description in touches your mind with the idea of something so pleasant that any person could understand that idea of pleasantness. Yeah. Because and... we've all had that one comfortable pair of pants we like to wear on a lazy afternoon. Yeah. So then, it's not then the halfling language would almost be that that comfortable shoe. That's something you could just almost that, that, that's say. something pleasant that caresses your ear, and you go, "Oh, that's lovely." It, it, it's it caresses your ear with a velvet wrapped tongue. It, it it caresses your ear with a soft velvet glove, gently brushing away discomfort as it passes by. That, that that nice drip of ice cream on that hot summer day right after you have a tonsillectomy. Right? That, that's exactly. smooth. It, it's a nice, clear, crisp, cool glass of water or iced tea or lemonade. It's that first taste of brisket that you've been stewing in a pot for three days. Oh, that is a wonderful smell and taste. It's, yeah, I, I think that would be the best way how to describe it. 
something so it's so smooth that you can't actually compare it to butter it's that that just feeling of relaxation uh, but it it's it, it 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 is in every way meant to be what is a good story these descriptors for a great story are the same descriptors you would use to describe halflings. And the halflings that manifest don't get all the powers that are attributed to them in their story. They become basically an aggregate of beings that these stories could reasonably have been uh, uh, not extrapolated, but uh, 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 an exaggeration of. If they were described as the greatest thief in the world, the person who appears would be an above-average pickpocket and, and lockcracker. Yeah, I, I can see that. And that and that's how every halfling gets known. I mean, it's, it's, I hate to say it, but I mean, halflings are known to be thieves. And it, it kind of sucks because it just pinpoints them. Versus, like, this, this wonderful barbarian halfling. Who just here, here, here's the beauty of this. Shit. Any halfling, I, I, I have, I like to put a rule in my stories. Any halfling has stories about them that have preceded them to where they're traveling. <laughs> Even that yeah. first level halfling. Even that first level halfling, because his family's stories that created his existence. Hmm. Maybe some bard picked it up because he found it particularly amusing. No. If he doesn't have stories about being a thief, people would know that halfling isn't a thief. They'd already have heard tales about him, and the minute they hear his name, they're like, oh, he's that guy. Oh, he's he's described as honorable and has never stolen from anyone. Yeah, okay, we'll trust him. Truth be told, they are a thief. Nope, no, truth be told, in their stories, they were never made a thief, and therefore, the person they become isn't of a nature to steal from people. Instead, he becomes an honorable paladin who serves the light and justice. Ah, but see, that that's where we could argue that a good thief would always make themselves not known. That's... That may be, but the nature of how the halflings are created makes it difficult for them to hide who they truly are. Yeah. Because the tales will tell tales that they don't want people to hear. And the tales have already been told before they had a say in the tales that are told about them. True. Right, so I think we can round off halflings with that, that cool, comfortable, old sweater of a language. That, that yeah. yeah. Permanent. So then that leaves us with gnomes. I believe that is the last main race Call that a lot of people play. Tinkerers, as they're normally seen. Any accent, Alchemists. but spoken as if you are on 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 amphetamine. Yes. Or a ridiculous amount of caffeine. I, I would even yeah, no. say high caffeine with a, a pinch of helium. Gnomes are coffee and helium incarnate. Yes. <laughs> they, they, are, they are the the. Uh, Creators of those interesting. I, I, I honestly don't see them as necessarily squeaky voiced. 
I, I almost feel like that that's a disservice to gnomes. I think that they would be that is fair. they would that 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 they would they would they would definitely have that that coffee speak voice where they're talking really fast like this because they're trying to get everything out of it all at once because their brain is going through so many things at once so they don't get bored. Because literally, if they get bored, they're going to die. They're going to turn white, turn pale. They're going to bleach out. And they're going to cease to exist. Hmm. <laughs> that that is an interesting thought. <laughs> it's all oh, the bleaching, and it is canonical to Pathfinder. <laughs> all gnomes are in a perpetual quest to avoid the bleaching. Just like all oh. are in a quest to avoid uh, the dreaming. Oh they they don't want to become bored. Oh because my god! If they get bored, that is how they truly die. So that that high high action. Let's go! Come on, guys! I'm getting bored here. I'm almost done with my puzzle. We really should hurry up with this. And literally, like doing some kind of like puzzle box in their hands. Without looking at the box, directly looking at the character, because they get more fun out of the box, they don't look at it when they're playing with it. They want to do it by feel. So that, that yes. stereotypical description of someone with ADHD or ADD, that, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. In a lot of ways, that, oh god, hurry up, if I get blood, I'm gonna die. <laughs> I mean, that is how it feels and, and a lot of people with it is literal that. for a no. If they get truly bored of their life, they will die. Oh no, not the gnome. And, and actually, that's a lot of why gnomes do anything at all. Everything they do is about some kind of obsession they that look, has they want caught to avoid their interest in the moment. Boredom. Well, man, boredom Much is... like an autistic special interest. Oh, look, this gives me the dopamines when I poke it. I can poke it. <laughs> can I poke it till I can't poke it anymore or I stop getting dopamine? Oh, no more dopamines. New thing! It's actually why I love TTRPGs. I have yet to find a way to poke it that it doesn't give more dopamine. <laughs> I, I think most of us haven't found a way to poke it to where we can't get uh, any more dopamine out of it. Yes. Why? Because uh. you can't do every quest. Or if you do a quest, you go, well, I've seen this kind of quest before, and oh, wow, this didn't end the way I thought it was. Because it always changes. The world is always different. So I think I think doing that that hyperactive, almost quick-sounding language fits very well yeah. for no mission and how it would come out. And and also for doing a gnome voice, they would speak quickly. However else they spoke, almost one-word sentences. Like yeah, let's go. Not even just one-word sentences, but like. Even if they say a bunch of words in a sentence, they're going to say them as fast as they can like this, but still speaking as clearly as possible so they can get their information across to you so you can still understand them, but they're speaking super fast. They might even trip up on a word or two. Even, because their mind is that, racing that fast. Yes. Which is something that happens in people who are extremely fast thinkers. Their mind will 
get past where they're what they're talking about, and then their mouth will skip to where they are, and you they'll like drop like half a sentence because their brain is going too fast. Yeah. I entirely see it. Where they, they they say something like four times because they keep missing a word, and their brain just like, oh shit, I have to add that word too, and then they stop, and then they speak in a no more normal accent slowly as they go through each word of the sentence. Almost like they're talking to someone dumb, but the way they're saying it is like they're talking to themselves as the person who is being dumb about this. Yeah. And they go through each word of the sentence and then go back to talking normally for them, which would be like a halfling on crack. <laughs> That is that is an interesting <laughs> thought. And, and, and for the scariest part is that seems sadly to be the most accurate description of how a goddamn gnome would talk. Yeah. It's it like a halfling on crack. Oh, so well. How 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 is it how is it uh, uh, December of sixty nine? Uh, sometimes, sometimes I don't know why I bother with you, sir. <laughs> Alright, I believe that rounds out all of the, the player's handbook. For the most common races, races. Yeah, yes. The most common. So, oh, wait, no, 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 because there, there are a few um, in the unmentionable edition. Uh, uh, I would. I would also actually like to point out that we should uh, go down the language list. Uh, not so just I was the actually list. pulling pulling up the language list. Okay, uh, because <coughs> uh, draconic dragonborns one one of the, a very fucking common race. Yes. How how do you how do you explain draconic? I I've almost explained it very Latin based. That that I've seen it. Sound. I've seen it portrayed in a lot of times as a very serpent hiss growl snarl language almost. I would like to strongly disagree with this atrocious nonsense. That is fair because it doesn't make sense if. I see a dragon as having a voice more like this, deep in its throat where it speaks in almost a growl, because the voice reverberates through its great mouth and vast throat, having a rumble through its giant body before coming towards you. Exactly. I mean, I can see that, but... It's a difficult voice for most people to do. It is a very yeah yeah the way that a creature who literally has millennia to live would speak all the time in the world 
exactly that. That low, slow, almost methodical choosing your uh, words. As an example, I did that one less in my throat and more through my tongue vibrating against the roof of my mouth just to give it that slight rumbly sound. That, that is a... Because that's an easier voice for people to be able to do. Because if you, you just have to figure out how to tap your tongue against the roof of your mouth as fast as you can as you speak, basically. Almost, yeah. That, that, I honestly think that that low, gravelly tone. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that's the problem with using that tone. It's it uh, really, really messes with you. It, it 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 doesn't really mess with you. It's that the vibrations that growling like that give your body will actually loosen up shit in your lungs. Mm -hmm. It's not bad for you. It's actually really good for you. I forgot. There's like a million fucking languages. Uh -huh. There's a lot of them. Yes, there are. I totally forgot. And... and... Sometimes you go, oh yeah, there, there's this language, and then, oh yeah, there's this language, and then, oh, but I took this language, and, oh, but then there's this one, that would be fun. Uh, so, I, we'll, we'll use a mix right now. Uh, but Draconic, I really feel that that low, gravelly tone fits. E even for those, it's almost as if, it's not something caught in their throat, but there's, it's not phlegm. It's like that, that I could spit at you because you're just not on my level. Well, my, my thought on that is actually that they would have an extra flap in their throat, like how the lungs, the stomach in our bodies have a flap that separates them so that you don't breathe in through your air tube. Yeah. So, so you don't swallow shit down your air so you don't choke on shit and so that you don't have air going down your 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 food tube as much as mm -hmm. possible and in the dragon they'd have a second one that's the door to the breath sack as it were i could see that yeah and that's what's vibrating back there that might be a, a wonderful explanation uh, on where the gravel comes from. And it would actually, in a lot of ways, really actually be a omnipresent threat that they could just stop talking and open that sack that you hear vibrating in the back of their throat. True. Then again, there, there are different ways for them to, let's say, breathe fire or acid or 50 other ways. But that, that secondary well, the, flap, I think that works to explain a lot. Well, the, the, the thing is, is whatever it is, there would be a sac there. Now, it might have an, the sac might contain an acid gland. It might contain a, 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 a pyrophorous chemical batch. 
It might have a, a cryonic agent in it. It might have a freaking bunch of crystals that grind together, creating powerful electrical fields that the dragon then projects out of its mouth. It still would have a sack there that protects this from the rest of the body. Hmm. And the rest of the body from it as well. Alright, I think that explains Draconic pretty well, actually. It would also explain why non-Draconic entities have difficulty properly pronouncing Draconic. It's meant to be pronounced with a breath sack. True, actually. Alright, uh, so then, uh, what about uh, Abyssal? The language of demons and... and chaotic outsiders almost that 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 dark creeping word sensation that you get in your mouth that that taste of evil per se how do you describe 1920s radio salesman that guy trying to sound like he's an honest schmo just trying to help you save a buck Ah uh, yes. I'm not. I'm not doing the voice, Lydia. I'm sorry, but I'm not doing the voice. As much as I would love to, I think I. I don't think Ed McMillan would would appreciate me trying to copy his style, for that. Um, for an excellent example, actually, of the voice, uh, the radio demon from Hasden Hotel. That is a very good point. Point of that. Yeah, uh, in fact, actually, I believe, I believe, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Seth, Seth Everman, uh, creator of Family Guy, Seth MacFarlane, that's his name, God, uh, wow, I look like an idiot now, uh, Seth MacFarlane actually took, uh, inspiration for Quagmire using that same style. Oh, yeah, that would do it. And Quagmire's voice is an excellent example of a good voice to use for a demon, too. That's so Like, if you use Quagmire's voice at all for uh, for any lust-associated demon, then all of your players are going to get uncomfortable at your table. <laughs> I mean, that that is I mean, another you're not, conversation. You're not wrong. You're not Comfortability wrong. at a table. But that 1920s sleazy, slick-talking smart aleck. Yes, I swear, darling. Don't worry, don't worry. I will get you out of here, and we'll get you on that plane. Ugh. Oh, God. Well, hello, everybody. I'm here to sell you the new Amazovac. I get, personally guarantee its quality. Only nine ninety nine ninety nine. Order now. Uh-huh. Yep. What's the matter, darling? Don't feel comfortable around two radio demons? Mm? Well, don't worry. Oh. I've got something for you. The wonderful Spark Taser. It only comes in one color. Pink for your fancy lady friend. And if that doesn't please you, I've got a wonderful thing for you here today. It is a, it is a baseball bat that I have personally wrapped in bubblegum pink barbed wire for you. And if that doesn't oh, get your fancy, I have the new marital aid. Husband not doing it for you in bed? Here, try this. It's a wonderful new invention created by the boys in the lab to try and help you get your way. And if you like that, I highly recommend these industrial strength batteries. They'll keep your boyfriend playing long into the evening. Oh, God. <laughs> Ooh. 
Uh, anyway, it sounds so, oh god, I hate yeah, that. No, that, I love no, the Netflix, but oh, yeah. that just sounds it sounds so wrong. It's right, it, but it, it, oh, makes you want to spit every time you speak in that voice. It does, and, and as someone who who likes to play a, a demon every once in a while in a campaign. It just, that hurts to even go through. <laughs> like, wow, now I'm really going to feel like a demon every time I play a demon. I mean, it, it does fit for demons. They are that salesman trying to get that sale to, to sell your soul. Oh, man. That, that, oh. We have a deal. Do we have a deal? Oh, man. Do we have a deal? <laughs> you know what? I would love to get Ed McMillan on. Or Ed... God damn it. Edward Bosco. Oh, That's his God. name. Bosco would be yep. fucking great to have on here. You know he's actually he's a Chicago native? Wow. Yeah, so, oh, man, uh, I feel really bad. Actually, a, 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 another interesting group of accents to use for demons is anything from the New York I mean, New I York know. Trip. I know Bosco like, plays Remy on the unexpected, on the unexpected hmm. so. I didn't know also, uh, actually, almost any New England accent at this point could be fairly well used as a demon voice. Also, any upper-class Southern accent would make a great demon voice. Mm-hmm. Now, young Stuart, I do believe that you are in the wrong here. Oh, and wow. by our wonderful news of your yeah, sale, no, that, that works. Your soul, it works a little too no, well. No, 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 I'm done. Now, dear young <laughs> Redwood, I do believe that you did say that this would be a wonderful thing. Now, it is not like any other no, time. No, 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 no. Hold on, I, I I said it'd be a good voice for a demon, and um, it has successfully made me uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I think that, oh god, I, you know what, I, I think for my campaign, I know the next demon voice I'm going to use. Oh no. <laughs> you, know, you know what the worst part is? I actually, ha I, I actually grabbed my lapel. And actually had to start talking like that to even get it remotely close. As someone whose family comes from the South, hearing that voice just goes, Ah, oh, fuck. I gotta go out on the farm again. And it, it oh, that, that hurts to hear. Because it, it hits home. Because it's that, it's that demon that you know is there. But it's, it's oh, that God. demon you don't expect, almost. Yeah. No, it's the demon you know is there, but still you jump every time you hear it walk by. Now, I do believe, I, I say now, I say, I say now, son, that, uh... Sweet Jesus, Foghorn Leghorn is now the demon of my nightmares. <laughs> now, yeah. I say, boy, I say well, now, boy, then, you running like a chicken with again, your head cut off. Then again, given my history with poultry... That's not too far from accurate, anyway. Oh, you had a poultry geist? I I I had to learn how to turn a rooster into a pile of feathers when uh, I was a very young age. 
I know, I know that one. I know that one a little too well. Now I say, yeah, no, I say but, now. Uh, I kicked the shit out of that rooster when I when I finally fucked up the courage to finally face him down. He never fucked with me again. Yeah, it was a great chicken dinner too. No, he wasn't chicken dinner. We needed him, but I kicked his ass, and he knew who was boss. I went. Just drop kicked that rooster. He did not fuck with me ever again. He's like, I don't know what you kick. I don't know how you kick me like that, but that fucking hurt. He was good. He kept oh. like three feet from me ever since, till he dead. Then he was a good chicken dinner. Now, son, I say here now. Welcome to the 1920s Southern Radio, no. gentlemen. Oh God. That just from. Now that yes. rooster reminds me of a. It was a goat my uh, family had when I was one of my stepmothers. He would he would deliberately clothesline people with the lead he had. I shouldn't laugh. Also, he would continually rear up to kick. This is not just a goat. He was the size of a small horse. Yeah, that's not a goat. That's just a horse. No, 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 no. See... That's a goat, because a horse is not half as ornery as a goddamn goat. It's more like a horse-sized mule with horns, who's a little bit faster. Yeah. My dad kept calling him Jar Jar because he looked like Jar Jar Binks, basically. Oh, oh my god. Yeah, like like he, had that really? he had the right coloration around his face and the floppy ears. And he was just Honestly, enough of a pain in the ass. looking like a goddamn goat demon does not do anything to make me... Oh, you should think that I'm a demon? Oh, that's nice. No, me should think you, was Sith. you should have been Sith all along. Because it would have explained everything and made all so much more awesome in the story. And it would have made people hate the first episode. First fucking episode of the series, less. Mm. Anyway, we should move to the next language. Yes. Uh, and uh, abyssal and infernal both were covered under our demon banner. I mean, yeah, I could say infernal is that way. I, I would add maybe a little more. Infernal, infernal. No, infernal is more the ones who would have the 1920s radio announcer. There Demons we go. would just be like the old 1920s. Sleazy voiced, yeah, no. like con man voice. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful sound. They're more about just effing you over. That that mobster, the 1920s mobster, into a, maybe a southern gentleman. Yeah, that kind of yeah, yes. yeah. See here, son, you're messing with slick. Now messing with slick is gonna get you caught. Now I don't think you should mess with slick no more. You see. Not unless you want to get caught up, Bile. Not unless you want to get caught up. Nah, now keep it up and you'll be sleeping with the fishies now. You're here? Eh? All right. Um, so there, there's there's uh, a couple different things. Uh, in Pathfinder, there's Abolith, which, which is uh, the deep sea aberrational language. I would put it more in that it, mix it of would, aquatic it would and be 19th. just no. <laughs> no, 
No, it is. It is alien. It is. It is very alien. alien. And I have to laugh. Thinking Aboleth just brings me back to an instance where a player got raw Aboleth meat. Yeah. And he was a fish man, so he was used to eating raw fish. So he ate it and he could hear it screaming. Oh, so no. With each bite. Oh, oh God. <laughs> that's that's yeah, I no, that's kind that's of what I would I would kind of agree that sounds Aboleth to me like the NPC was horrified and he was just like oh alright and kept eating it it, 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 really, it did nothing to him in the log run but it was amazing I mean eating an Aboleth wouldn't do anything uh, e eating a primordial on the other hand I mean, it was fun to watch a fisherman monk do that. Yeah. So, so Abelith anyway. is that that deep, yeah. dark. It is probably the language just before you hit the language of the old ones that are typically used for warlocks in Five E. Even better, uh, the 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 sound in, in, that uh, the fishmen make. From I believe Abelas qualify as one of the creatures that can be capable of being a patron. In fact, yes, uh, yes, they can actually. Uh, a couple Abelas actually. Yeah, which is why you follow the great old one, and you get Abelas as uh, a language, and it's hysterical. Mm-hmm. Um, that also, so that that deep. Language, uh, e even add on a, a little. Exactly yeah. that 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 the gravel, the the rat. Even add in a little. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a very. I wouldn't say terrifying language was a very unsettling language. Exactly, that that unsettling feeling. That that feeling you get when you think you're not alone, but you know that you're alone. That's what you get that... when you're playing Call of Cthulhu with a combative DM. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. That's, that's no, not thank something you. Funny. That's the feeling you should probably feel with something like that speaking to you. All of Call of Cthulhu is bad enough when you have a GM who is not being adversarial. Yeah. Good heavens. I, I couldn't yeah. even imagine what... I look forward to that episode. I have, we have stories for you, Paul. Oh, yeah. That, that, getting Call into of stories of D&D, that's going to be a fun one. Um, Call of Cthulhu with an adversarial GM sounds like a recipe for actual insanity. I mean, yes. it, it more than likely was. Alright, so Abolith, that deep, dark speech, that she, unsettling, that thing you yeah. hear in the middle of the night go fuck. Uh, that would leave, uh, in 3-5, Aracracra, the, the, the pterodactyl people, almost bird-like. A, a trill, almost. Uh... I would actually argue uh uh that that the 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 
Um, aren't they supposed to have, like, mimicry? Uh, depending on uh, a lot of the, the lore, uh, most uh, Acrocrawl actually don't mimic. They actually do have their own oh. language. I believe when they are speaking common, it's very mimicry, and they, they every time they hear a word, they get to mimic that. Yeah. I mean, I would almost say the sound of it is is almost like Tweety. No, I would I would argue for something more like uh, the the kills of like an owl or an eagle or a hawk. Maybe it's a mix, like hooting, not screeching, but like. Actually, that could be an interesting mix. And it would change depending upon their emotions, actually. A lot of factors. And that actually makes it a little more interesting to to do it that way. I actually don't mind that sound now. In fact, that actually could work for a lot of uh, bird characters almost. Um, Tengu, uh, specifically would be mostly a variation of sounds related to to raven and crow calls. Caws and, and, and cackles. Yeah. And, and and croaks like an like a raven. Yes. Oh. Well to be fair, a tengu would also probably be able to easily speak completely unaccented if they speak another language. Yes. Crows can learn full speech. They can. It just requires something called freeing their tongue. I don't know what that means or entails, but it apparently does allow them to speak like a freaking parrot. I mean, they are they are as smart as a toddler, even. So having a crow, yeah, or or in this case, a uh, a tengu. A a crow is as smart as a toddler. A raven is smarter than that. Oh, man, having a Tengu but, but, speak. But cool. the crow is the more creative one. Yeah, that would... Uh, hmm. I, I can just see it, and I do not like that. I do not like that. A Tengu just talking like that. that Completely that, that, unaccented speech, because... It unsettles me. actual speaker. It unsettles me, though. I don't know why. And maybe because it's just, it's so good that it unsettles me, but it just, that's unsettling. It takes you outside of your comfort uh. zone. It puts you in a place where you've met a creature that truly seems like something from a foreign mystical land. It, it's, it almost seems humanly inhuman. Right. Ugh. 
I, d I don't like that. I don't like that feeling. It's not a... It, uh... You should explore this. It will help you grow as a being. It, it does, but at the same time, it's also... Ugh, I don't, well, I don't like that. that. That No, I don't like that. It, it's because it challenges deeply held stereotypes. That feeling of discomfort is the natural feeling of knowing that you need to grow. And if people understood that, we'd have a much better world to live in. We would. Uh, yeah, ooh. All right. Uh, so being that we, we have a crow crow and, and the, the sound of birds almost, uh, I think we yeah, can go on to any Akron. kind of bird sound oh, would yeah. be good for Eric Cochran. Yeah, just uh, a mix of it. Honestly, I think it would be a mix twenty four seven because it's such right. a, a, a a thrill of of them. Uh, so that brings us to Aklo, the the language spoken by uh, Jarrow, inhuman or other worldly monsters, the the the, the uh, evil fae. In fact, I would even say the unseely court. Oh God! Oh, no, God. It, it is it is the language of the unseely court. Ooh. That is what Akko is. Oh God, I don't like. That's I... why all of the creatures described there are people who would have feelings with the unseely court. As a player, I hate that. But as a DM or GM, depending on on the kind of game you're playing, I love that. It's it's uh this wonderful wonderful thing and you just oh so so how how would you make Aklo sound? Well, honestly, a, in a word, fearsome. Hmm. Not like Anything nightmare, of... but like fear itself. Like taking taking how you feel when you hear, uh, in the case of an arachnophobe, you see a, a spider. That kind of right. fear? Okay. Yeah. Like, 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 like the freaking, uh, 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 oh, the Bogart, who is supposed to dwell in your closet. And takes the form of your greatest fear. Oh, this is an excellent example. This is an excellent example of a creature of the unseely court and how they would behave. And also gives us a good basis to think of how would the language sound. How would the language sound? It would literally be hisses and screams, scratches and cackles. It would be anything that would sound frightening to listen to the howl of a wolf the hiss of a snake the uh the cackle of a mad old woman oh yes in fact even the sound of a the clicking of beetles the sounds of nail on a chalkboard Sounds of hundreds of spider legs skittering across uh, the, a smooth stone surface. That feeling you get when you think there's something on your back that there's nothing there for. <laughs> yeah, that, that's Aqua. That 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 unsettling feeling. Oh man. 
All right. But sound. Oh, yes, that, that feeling into a sound. Oh, that, I do not like that feeling or sound. No one does. All right. Oh, gosh. I think the next one we before we should jump a, a bit on the list. We should discuss Sylvan, the counterpoint to Aquo at this point. Ah, yes. Actually, I was going to suggest doing Sylvan, the 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 language of the Fae, centaurs, plants, unicorns. The language of the Steely Court. The language of good Fae, fairies, uh, the fair folk, as they're called in Ireland. Aye. The, the the sweet, kind, maybe a little trickstery thing. Yes. The ones that if you leave a bit of uh, milk, honey, and uh, bread for them, you know, they'll never leave you any trouble in the world. Exactly. I think this would be more of a comfort sound, almost. Almost along the lines of happy. It's that what makes you feel good. That light Bells breeze and laughter. A baby's laughter. laughter. A baby's laughter. But what's yeah. laughter it can be a couple different things. I think a baby's the g- laughter. The giggle of a joyful child. The sound of a babbling brook. The sound of leaves Bustling. shaking in the tree as they are disturbed by the by the soft summer breeze. That that nice sound of, of an and not just the sound of leaves rustling, but specifically the sound of leaves dancing in the tree as they are caressed by a soft summer breeze. Oh, yes. Mm. That, that subtle, subtle hints of, of laughter and good feeling. I, I think that fits the sylvan tongue. It's a very, very light, elegant language. Something that if... if it is a language that fits itself to poetry very well because poetry read in Sylvan would have just a certain extra punch to it because just how much Sylvan is naturally meant to express deep layers of of, of emotion and feeling in a, in and a in subject. Joy, it would be joy. A lot of would be a not 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 just joy. Because the the Sealy Court understands the good goes with the bad. It would describe both the joy and the pain in equal measure, but still with an appreciation of the joy of existence. Finding the silver lining. Not not even just a silver lining, but realizing that the pain itself is the silver lining because it's the silver that shines and reflects the good that we have experienced to us that we may see it clearly. Hmm. I, I can because see Because the they recognize balance and contrast. And, and Lydia, you, you haven't spoken up on, on uh, Sylvan. What, what do you mm. feel on it? Most of what you described is very accurate to but I would feel it sound like just a combination of the joys and sorrows of almost eternal existence, really. The, the yin and yang, almost. A little bit, like, yeah. yeah. And the understanding that you can't just have happiness, or happiness will lose all meaning. Exactly. 
I see it. I see it. It's... Where they recognize that even the pains of their existence are a treasure to be held dear. Deep words, deep words. I, I think that actually does have a, a wonderful explanation for soul. That that it's not terrible, but it's not great. The joy and sorrow in one. Whereas Aklo is just fear because they just want to make people afraid. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Whereas the Sylvan is joy and sorrow woven into a beautiful melody because they wish to spread their joy and sorrow in the beauty of the world to all. Because in understanding the balance of joy and sorrow, one becomes comes to understand the balance of life, existence, death, the flow of nature, the cycle of existence. This is how the first druids came to be. Yes. So I yeah, think that can be... learned Sylvan and spoke it so long they came to understand the true nature of the meaning of connection to nature in a way that a person who hadn't understood com completely understood Sylvan possibly ever could. That's what it is. Sylvan would be the sound of nature. Almost. Yes, and, and but that's why it would also include things like the laughter of a human child, because we are not apart from nature. We are a part of nature. Yes. Alright. Uh, I think we can actually talk about Orin now. The, the tongue of heaven as it's called in a lot of... Uh, the language of the sylphs and of the elemental plane of air. Sylphs, uh, elemental plane of air, uh, a lot, any air-based creature almost. In fact, a lot of, a lot of uh, bird creatures can learn Orin as a, a, a bonus language in any D&D &D setting because they are of the air. And in fact, a lot of <laughs> they learn it because... They have dealings with these kinds of creatures. Yes, because they are part of nature, and the the natural winds are part of their domain, but that is also of the domain of the air. Yes. Because most domains are shared. Which I, I think the best way how to describe Orin is the sound of air. The sound of a storm. Yeah. The wind. The wind is the not just subtle. The storm, the whistle of a breeze through trees, through stones and cracks and crannies. Any sound you've ever heard from the wind blowing across something, that was the voice of Orin speaking. Exactly. It's a, it's a, a, a subtle language, but it is very... Everywhere. Every sound that you hear of the wind is a sound that is a, 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 a sound in Orin. It is a complex language. Exactly, and I think we can actually tie it in with Celestial, the, the actual language of heaven, the, the language of angels and, and good outsiders instead of just abyssal. It's, yeah. it's a light um, trill of the wind in, into that forest. Celest, 
celestial is more um um i see it as more like uh just the thunder of the heavens because it's more bombastic i think would be the best word to describe it showy almost versus Orin, yeah. which is very which is just it. which is just the language of winds of the air and of the heavens but celestial is the language of heaven no s Mm, true. Which, I, I mean, I, I would even say it's not just a storm. Maybe include, uh, it, as Christianity would go, it, a choir of angels. It, that... it, would, it, it would be the thunder of the heaven. It would be the thunder of heaven. It would be thunder. It would be the bombastic something of powerful drums. The clash of cymbals, the crash of thunder, flashes and cracking of lightning, uh, the, the sound of, of, of thousands of singing voices all crescendoing together into the, into the sound of words that can be understood in your native tongue most of the time, honestly, with the way the fucking angels actually are. Be Go not afraid. Yeah that <sighs> I mean you know every... if you weren't down a notch you wouldn't have to tell people that exactly and, and I think Celestial <laughs> is up to interpretation for, for a DM because I mean every DM has a different view on almost religion and, and Celestial would be a very religious tongue along with Infernal or Abyssal I think um, another another thought actually that occurs to me, we could do it more like uh, something that I've seen, uh, more of like a song language, like ancient Hindi. Ooh. Potentially interesting for a thought. Yeah, I mean it, it would it would really change how things are viewed for. It would also place. it would also make things interesting for inclusion because I've heard a number of stories of people who have uh, a speaking problem who like stutter severely and can't talk very easily, but they can sing just fine. And having a sung language for them to have an in character reason that that they don't have to feel strange about singing for their character speaking all the time. The sound of yeah. joy. That would be a good way to explain Celestial. Yeah, in a lot of ways. But also, like, bom but, but also bombastic thunder, depending on, like, the inflection of how they're speaking. Exactly. Like, may maybe important names, proper nouns, and things like that are the sound of thunder. But most of the other time, it's... A simple feeling of I, I, I actually I would say that it, it it's that it's one of the most emotionally expressive languages because how you speak is changed based on how you feel about what you're speaking about. So if you were 
speaking of something that pleased you and made you happy, it would be this joyful lilting choir sound. But if you were speaking of something that filled you with a great furious rage, it'd be cracking thunder and raging heavens. A language yeah. simply based upon your emotions. That actually, you know what? I think that is the perfect descriptor for Celestial. Yes. That is actually a very good descriptor. It's it's that that roar of thunder when when anger comes into your voice. And then that nice soft listing sound of of, well, of of maybe fucking the wind going through someone's hair. Wind chimes, silver bells, singing voices, and joyful laughter for when you're happy. <laughs> Roaring thunder and raging beast when you are mad. Uh, the sweep of rain across the land and the lamentations of those who have been wrong as you are as you speak of things that are sad. Yeah. I, in fact, I, I can I, I don't care if I get DMCA'd for this, but I, I think there's a way to explain Celestial. The song My Favorite Things. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper yeah. packages tied up with yeah. strings. No, I... These are a few well, of my favorite, my favorite things. things. Dream-colored ponies and crisp apple strokes. Okay. That warm but, feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And and in some way, and, and in that. But it would also be the ride of the Valkyries. Hey, yeah. Yes. That That is a perfect example. It is that that happy feeling and then that one Bombastic asshole. thunder and crash. And then, and then it's the falling off of autumn from Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Oh, in fact, I, I could even argue that all of Four Seasons could be a perfect example of how to explain how how celestial works. Yeah, that disinterest of fall, just going, eh, okay, yeah, it's 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 all there. In, in, into the into the into the farther as it gets into the sad part, as it starts to turn towards winter. And you get the rain, the the sounds of the the fall rains and 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 going on. Exactly. Yes. I think I think that is a, a perfect example of how how celestial sounds. Mm-hmm. All right. Musical. Oh, musical. Exact musical. That is the perfect example. All right. So so now now time for a, a wonderful uh, language that. More so isn't spoken, but is more written. Beholder. Oh, God. The language of the nine-eyed beast. How the language of mad ramblings is a good way to put it. That yeah. I'm not wrong. No, you're not. It's it's a very... It, it's almost crazy. It is, it, it is a language of madness. All beholders are born insane. Who are you kidding? No, you're right. It's all beholderkin go insane. 
as there are some variants that have a degree of sanity when they're created. Yeah. But if the creator dies, they begin to slowly slip into that insanity. I mean, what is sanity but a form of insanity? Yes. So, so the, the scrawlings of a madman. Nothing makes sense. Or everything makes sense and it scares you. Yes. Oh, but okay. those are just two sides of the same coin. And the exactly. coin is yes. madness. Madness <laughs> is a, a, a hard <laughs> to deal with. Only fools trade in madness. Unfortunately, mm. there seems to be a surplus of fools. Exactly. Um, Alright, so then we get down to uh, Boggart, uh, which is the language solely spoken by Boggarts. How, how do you describe that? I've seen a bit of it in Pathfinder Kingmaker. It's a very frog-like croaking. <laughs> which fits as they themselves are very frog-like. So it's, it's uh-huh. croaks... More so, it, it is. It is. Uh-huh. It's literally a fucking a frog speaking to a frog. Yeah. Uh-huh. It is frog speech, essentially. Yeah, that's that's honestly an interesting uh, definition. I've heard. I, I heard like, now. Early in Kingmaker, you can have a very difficult encounter with a group of boggart hunters that immediately start croaking. And what going nuts when they spot you? Huh. Even going into using a terrifying croak ability, trying to fear your more powerful party members. Oh, that's. I don't like that. No one likes that when their tank decides to walk away because they're scared. God damn it, <laughs> Valerie. <laughs> oh. All right. Uh, now I have to remember mm. what they are. Um, this is why I'm Team Amiri forever. Yes. The best. Because that, that that barbarian is afraid of absolutely nothing. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Yeoman. The, the the moaning monks for three five, uh, they they humanoid but long sagging faces, elongated hands and feet. Uh, how, the what how, now? The bowman, b u o m m a n. Hmm. Oh, not sure. It's a language I've never had any experience with. I've never had it myself. I, it, that may seen, be one we have to come back to in a later segment. I think we would have to because I've never seen them before, and it's honestly quite. I would, I would, I would, I would have to do some studying on the subject before I'd be willing to even mm-hmm. make conjecture what they might sound like. Exactly. Uh, wow, that's honestly pretty interesting. Oh, let's pin that one for later. That that is a very big pinned one. All right. Uh, everyone's everyone's favorite uh, anime trope, catfolk. I mean, oh, a lot of us can be very difficult. You can always go for the 
complete anime stereotype and just have them speak common, except every time there's an N, they put nya in there instead. I wouldn't. I, I, I mean, wouldn't say it. You could, but I've always seen them as having, like, that, an actual cat folk language that is very similar to the noises most cats make. Exactly. I've always seen it as purrs and hisses of cats. Little yes. cat chirps. Perfectly timed. And that, that um, accent carries over into I would, the comedy. I would, I, would, I, would, I would strongly argue that most of the cat folk native language would be inaudible to a human. Yeah. A lot of it, too, is probably body language. Cats use a lot of body language. Yes. Um, cats also, more than half of the cat's vocal range is below the human hearing threshold. Yes. That is quite true. That's very true. So, so having, having a, a cat folk saying certain things, which is why when they're saying something in common, it might sound like they're talking a little rougher, slower. Having their voice... Because, because they're literally... Literally, it's hard for them not to speak condescendingly because that's the voice they use with children, and their children are born nearly deaf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that fits wonderfully for cat. And it's it's honestly quite, yeah, quite interesting. They hear. have a. It, it almost sounds condescending because they speak. They they naturally speak slowly and carefully in that language, so they can be clearly heard. Yes. Because normally when they're speaking in that language, they're speaking to a child that they are educating. But to a human, that's going to come off as a condescending tone of voice. I mean, to an untrained listener, it would come off as yeah. condescending. To someone who's been around cat it would be... And recognizes that, oh, I can't hear most of their language, and when they're speaking my language, they're Literally having to speak in dumb people speak. They're, they're using <laughs> you something speak to me like I'm an idiot because <laughs> exactly. It's it's they have to put into emotion things they can't say all the time as a cat because it's how, how do you explain I I feel joy in body language you just you smile a cat flicks their tail things like that. But in in a spoken language, I would actually argue that um, cat folk and others that are based on races, other other like animal folk who are based on races who who are uh, uh, based on animals that use body language to express emotion rather than vocal language, naturally. They might actually, when they're speaking other languages, have to like say, um, "This one feels joy. This one feels yeah. anger." I mean, I, this I, one feels anger. I, I hate to use I hate to use the the um um what the hell are they called um the kajit kajit. I've yes. heard that, but that kind of voice is used by for many other kinds of cat folk as well, but it is it, it is actually a good example. 
I think that describing on how they might come off to say, I, I am, I have anger, things like that. Maybe, maybe even using like terms that we wouldn't use, like in French, we do not say, I am angry. We, we say, I have anger or, or things mm. like I have hunger, things like that. That might be how a cat folk might speak almost. Almost, yeah. And and describing their emotion before making the statement, and then the whole thing is effectively completely unaccented for, like, emotionally speaking. Exactly. It would Maybe it would even sound like, I have anger for the way you speak to me. Exactly. Your words displeases this one. They make it sound as if I do not understand. I, I think actually that would be a really, really interesting way how to explain cat folk and, and how they sound, how their but language not, comes from. Not just cat folk. It would also affect dog folk, bunny folk. Any other kind of animal folk who uses body language? Yes, I actually think. I mean, uh, there are several. Any kind of rabbit folk. I would actually take notes from uh, Watership Down. Uh, please explain. I, I have not heard of that. Uh, so, the author. Uh... Shit, where is my copy? I'm trying to remember the name exactly off the top of my head, but. <laughs> he actually had a relatively figured out language within the rabbits. Hmm. Like, uh, the Latin language he came up with was pretty well thought out. You, you, you uh, good there, Red? I'm trying to think oh, yeah, here. No. It's been a while. Huh. Uh, God, I wish I knew where my copy was. It's I mean, well it's... paperback. It's something we can always, you know, come back to. I mean, yeah. nothing terrible. Just that thought. No, of... and 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 I, I I would I would like to see voice acting tips and voice tips and language tips and and storytelling tips on how to make your 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 races seem more realistic and fleshed out. Be regular segments on the show. Oh yeah, uh, actually. Uh, so, if you guys want, uh, we can actually call this uh, part one. Uh, I think that's a good idea. All right. So, uh, we're, we actually are going to call it here, uh, ladies and gentlemen. And, in fact, actually, uh, I would like to thank our sponsor for today. Yes, we do have a sponsor. And, no, for once, it's not, you know, a any kind of like button. It's actually a, a wonderful campaign written and ran by our own Lydia. It is called Thirteen Chains. You can actually catch it on twitch.tv slash Lydia Tempesta every Friday night at uh, 7.30 uh, Eastern Time. That would be 6.30 Central, 5.30 Mountain, Mountain. and three or 4.30 uh, Pacific Standard Pacific. Time. 
inside we see a wonderful group of adventurers daring to find out what has caused a giant cult of necromancers to come back and cause a lot of problems. Uh, it is a wonderful adventure, and if you miss any of our sessions or you would like to rewatch some of our previous sessions, you can always find it on, on uh, YouTube uh, at Lydia's channel. Uh, link will be in the description on the YouTube, and I will post it with our wonderful uh, set of podcasts. And I, I really do want to thank Lydia for running such a beautiful game uh, that we can actually have as our, our wonderful sponsor and, you know, get to express the beauty and you guys can actually see red and myself play uh two very distinctive characters who do have a wonderful use of language skills um some of which we actually do not have uh at this time uh described but you can see a lot of the languages we have talked about in uh wonderful detail in that game along with a few of our other friends uh, so I would like to thank both you, Lydia, and you, Red, for coming out. And our, uh, Lydia, are, is there any final words you'd like to say? Hmm. Let me think here. No, no, I wouldn't say that. Be a spoiler. Have a good night, everyone. Aren't we the lucky ones? All right, Red, uh, is there any final words you would like to say to take us home? Oh, well, I, I would like to wish everyone here a good evening, and uh, I, I'd, I'd like to, to 